anchored by our maritime history and shaped by the ocean, Halifax, Nova Scotia is a breath of fresh, salty air. Humble, vibrant, and surrounded by natural wonder, it's an ecosystem for innovation and the ultimate backdrop for your event. This is the Discover Halifax podcast, a podcast about the unique and unparalleled local expertise, innovation and infrastructure of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. This is the Discover Halifax podcast and I'm your host, Paul Bailey. Today, we're going to be talking about healing, feeding and fueling the world with Rob Henderson, the President and CEO of BioTalent Canada. BioTalent Canada supports the people behind life-changing science. They're the trusted source for labour market intelligence, and they also guide the bioeconomy stakeholders with evidence-based data and industry-driven standards. I'm excited to talk to them today about how they are ensuring the long-term agility, resiliency, and sustainability of one of Canada's and Halifax's most vital sectors. Rob, thank you for joining me today on what I think is going to be a very interesting podcast. My pleasure, Paul. Looking at what BioTalent Canada does, it actually fits in line with quite a few other guests that we've had on the podcast where I'm not going to say that you're a a hidden secret, but I think a lot of what you're doing is truly important work that not everyone who listens to the podcast would know a lot about. I'm going to dig into a whole bunch of different areas over the next several minutes here. But when I see a group that's as dedicated as yours to understanding the labor portion of the bioeconomy, it's absolutely huge because it's so important, especially as we go through the 2020s, you know, into 2029. And I see a gap start to develop, uh, which your group has so clearly articulated. Having somebody looking at this and understanding it is absolutely key. Thanks, Paul. You know, you mentioned saying that we're a well-kept secret. I guess that's probably good because we're indicative of the industry itself as a career path. And I think hopefully we'll get a chance to part the curtain a little bit on that and get people to take a look at the industry. I think that's why we're at the point where we are and facing some of the challenges we are, because a lot of people don't understand the real opportunity and fulfillment that can come from a career in biotechnology in Canada. And not only that, but the people that can participate within the bioeconomy, broadening that up and opening it up and and having people understand the opportunities that exist here, whether we're talking people with different backgrounds, different abilities, young, old, male, female, et cetera, it all comes into focus here. I couldn't agree more. You know, it's quite indicative when you see the G7 countries, the ones that are the most prosperous, the ones that have the most robust economy, it's led by the bioeconomy. It's the biotechnology and, and high-tech science and engineering that are leading the way. It's the key to prosperity. I mean, if you take a look at what's happened in the 20th and 21st century around the world, it's this kind of smart industry that not only has made everybody live longer, but has made those countries that have fostered biotechnology that so so prosperous. Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, when I start to look at the size of the bioeconomy here in Canada, or even within the Atlantic provinces, it's significant. And I don't think a lot of people understand how much of an economic driver this sector is, but also how much of a driver it can be moving forward as we go into the future. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you want to take a look at what kind of an economic driver it is, take a look at the economic development mechanisms of some of the major cities 
including Halifax and Charlottetown and Moncton, that want to attract biotechnology here. It's probably the most attractive industry possible. Why? Because these are smart. We're probably the most highly educated vertical in the world. In fact, that to be an innovator in biotechnology, you usually have to have a degree, if not a master's or a PhD, because, hey, you know, you have to learn the rules before you start breaking them. <laughs> um, right. And that's like, you know, like a great chef, you break a few eggs. Same idea with biotech. You're going to have to start busting up a few molecules and things in order to make some discoveries. But what's interesting about it is that, as we know, and Canada itself is the most educated nation in the world. So we are in the perfect prime position to capitalize on that, on the fact that we this is a smart, savvy industry. We pay gee, between 20 and 30% more, even for transferable skills jobs than other industries. So, I mean, who doesn't want to earn more money? And in terms of economic development, biotech companies are really good corporate citizens. They're philanthropic. They vote. The people that work for them vote. They're patrons of the arts. This is what drives great communities. These are the kinds of industry and the kind of companies that drive great communities, drive great provinces, and uh, drive great nations. I don't think I could have said it any better, and, and I wouldn't even try. Rob, that was, you know, when I think of the bioeconomy, that's exactly it. If I look at where our future is, smart people, smart cities is where we are all going to win. There's no other way to put it. And when I see the opportunity here, I'm just looking at the market labor intelligence report you have and the close-up on the bioeconomy. 65,000 additional workers are going to be required by 2029. And when I see that there's roughly 12,000 organizations that right now employ some 200,000 people in Canada, that's massive. It is. And a lot of people going, really? They're going, well, well I don't see all these biotech companies. But you know, the funny thing is, is that a lot of them, just like them, I mean, the 80-20 rule works in biotech. 80% of these companies that were, of the 12,000 that you're talking about, right? You're talking about upwards of 10,000 of these companies have less than 50 people in it. Mm -hmm. So where are they? They aren't these huge, massive facilities. I mean, we all know the, the large pharmaceutical companies and the research. We know some of those, but those constitute the minority of companies in biotech. Most of them are small in laboratories or in little small offices that just have simple names. You don't know what they do, but they quietly go about their work, employing a lot of smart and savvy people and driving the innovation engine of Canada. Well, that's exactly it. And, and maybe before we get into that in detail, mm -hmm. we can actually take a step back here. And I'd love for you to define how you see the bioeconomy, just so everyone listening kind of has the same foundation starting point. Well, it's a strange thing to say that we're sort of fortunate to be able to try to, to define the bioeconomy in the midst of a pandemic, mm -hmm. um, because most people now know a heck of a lot more about biotechnology and vaccine production uh, than they did about two years ago. <laughs> yes. So the fact is, but the bioeconomy is so much more. If you wanted to put it into a nutshell, we heal, feed and fuel the world. If you're wondering who's going to solve world hunger, uh, that will be a biotechnologist that solves that. That won't be a land developer. It won't be any of those things. That'll be a biotechnologist because it's the only way that we can find to get more yield out of food. If you're wondering who's going to save the green economy, who's going to get us off of fossil fuels? It's not only going to be the batteries of the world and the rechargeable and fuel cells. It's also going to be bioenergy and the biofuels and the renewable energy industries of the future. These are fantastic industries that are advancing the human race, giving us lifespans, food supplies, 
and equity and fairness and justice around the world, more so than any other single industry. And then I haven't even gotten into biohealth. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if you're taking a look at that biohealth, this is everything from medical devices to vaccines, new medicines, all of these things that we so much depend on. Uh, you know, Paul, it was just last week that Canada celebrated the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin. Mm, yes. You know, that single discovery from the parent of modern Canadian biotechnology, Frederick Banting and his team, that one discovery is credited with saving over 450 million lives to date. I mean, that's incredible. That's just one discovery. And Canada has a long history of it. So... I think the real issue here, though, too, Paul, is that how come people don't know about the bioeconomy more? We have such good stories to tell. We have such a fantastic, vibrant industry that people can feel proud to be part of because it's based on fact and it's based on advancing the human cause. Lifespan, if you know someone who is over 85 years old, chances are you have to thank a biotechnologist because it's new medicines and vaccines that have advanced the average lifespan of the human race more than that, any single thing. When I hear stories like that, and when I hear those statements, a lot of times you're going to step back, Rob, and you're going to say, well, where are the asterisks around those statements? But when it comes to this space, there are no asterisks. This is fact. As you said, this is truly what this economy and this sector does for Canadians and for the world. And the reason we do these podcasts is exactly what you just said. When we have international groups wanting to come to Canada or come to Halifax, shining the spotlight on these small organizations, these small businesses that are truly moving the needle, that's where we add value as Discover Halifax or Destination Canada or some of these other groups that I'm so proud to affiliate with. Without that, it's really hard for a group coming from abroad to find some of these organizations and, and have these stories told, especially the day-to-day. -day. So, Rob, I, I think you and I are in absolute alignment when it comes to that. And on an earlier podcast, you know, speaking to Scott Moffat of BioNova, <laughs> he, he referenced the exact same thing. We have so many stories to tell within the sector, within Nova Scotia, but within Canada as a whole. And I think that that's so important to do. Looking forward to 2029, where uh, your reports take us, we've got a gap that's going to take us a little bit of time to get there in terms of people. And that's where I really see the work that you and your team does at BioTalent being so important. Maybe you could dig into a little bit or tell us a little bit more about how BioTalent came to be or how you see the mission that you're on right now. Sure. Well, Biotelling Canada has been around for, believe it or not, about 24 years. And what we do right now, if I could give you a, uh, uh, you know, a Steve Jobs elevator pitch, um, is that we support the brain power behind life-changing science. So, Paul, science is defined as the study of the natural world. Well, the bottom line is there's only one species on the face of the planet Earth that has the capacity to study anything, and that is Homo sapiens or otherwise us. So in fact, without people, there can be no science. A science doesn't exist without people. It's an active verb. It's the action of studying the natural world. And so we start with the people because the people are the foundation. And that's where, you know, I, I think a lot of people forget that these companies are not a bunch of chemicals lying around and a bunch of things that suddenly find their way into a test tube uh, willy nilly. This is based on a bunch of people 
and a bunch of people that have to get prepared and get prepared in every way. These biotech companies are businesses. I mean, they're not just simply a bunch of lab rats that are sitting there without, they have to make money. We have to pay these people. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to have customers. They have to commercialize. So that's a complex set of skills that goes into it because it's also very entrepreneurial, right? Most of these companies are built by somebody with a great Eureka idea that suddenly found not only uh, the means by which to produce something, but customers to do it, investors, and then all of that support. That's a lot in terms of that. So we support the people. We support uh, trying to supply these companies with a never-ending font of talent. And that comes from everywhere, uh, every corner of the globe. It comes from our schools, because colleges and universities educate our young people, and we want to prepare them for going in because they're the low-hanging fruit. They're the ones where all of these biotech companies are sitting there with catcher's mitts trying to catch them as they graduate, right? And even before then. But, you know, Canada, and nowhere is this more true than Halifax, Canada is a nation of immigrants. Pre-pandemic, we were welcoming 300,000 a year, um, many of whom were internationally educated professionals with science skills and knowledge that are absolutely critical. And we need to equip these companies on how to be able to recruit and retain this talent to make sure that they and their families find homes where uh, and communities where the companies exist. Uh, there's all of this thing. And of course, because of Canada is such a diverse country, we're talking about our job is also to equip these companies to find the talent wherever it is, and also to equip these companies to be prepared to receive that talent in everything from a diversity and inclusive stance, and also from a forward thinking stance to be able to plan and plan human resources so that they can have access to the right people at the right time to drive their businesses. That's really what we do. So we do a lot of data analysis. As you mentioned, we produce labor market intelligence reports, which in and of themselves can be quite boring. But when you actually do the analysis and take a look at what they're predicting, uh, as you mentioned, like for us, we're predicting that this is an industry that's going to have 65,000 vacant jobs, jobs that are not filled in 2029. I don't know about you, Paul. I grew up in a time where it was a a pretty tight labor market, Mm -hmm. uh, where it was a question. I had a tough time finding a job. If I knew at that point that, or before I started my education, that there was an industry that paid more, that a lot of smart people, entrepreneurial, could learn a lot of stuff, nice people, feel good about myself doing it, and that I would have my pick of 65,000 jobs in Canada, uh, gee, um, that might actually persuade me to give it a second look as a career, right? I mean, especially we're looking at our kids now, we're trying to get them good jobs, well-paying jobs, fruitful, and, and put them into communities where they feel they can make a difference. Well, here it is. And this is what we're trying to support and trying to uh, display as much as we can to the Canadian public. And I think along those lines, what's of interest to me is the fact that we actually have a very robust economy that is growing, growing leaps and bounds. And, and I think that part of that, as I read through the report, especially the labor market intelligence report, what I took away from that more than anything else is the shortage doesn't exist necessarily because nobody wants a job. It's that the sector is growing so quickly because of the amazing, amazing momentum that exists within sector that it's growing at a rate where they want you. You know, the we want you poster, it's very much that. Right. I couldn't agree more, Paul. If you just take a look at the pandemic the last couple of years, I mean, let's face it, if you were in aviation or tourism or the arts, 
I mean, you had a tough time, right? Or yes. recreate or hospitality industry. You had a tough time and you suddenly realized, wow, you're vulnerable. Your industry is vulnerable to these. Now, those are all fantastic industries. I love to travel. I love to fly in planes and I love to, to go to theater. But at the same time, a lot of these industries have been devastated and they're having to come back. Well, these people have had to look for alternate employment, mm -hmm. right? Bioeconomy didn't do that. The bioeconomy grew throughout the pandemic. Well, not only did we pivot, we went off like a rocket to such an extent that we need people now. And again, so it's a question where, again, shouldn't that be even more attractive to people? Mm -hmm. Where, wow, you're a crisis-resistant industry. When crises occur, where does the world turn? To science, to save them, right? And that's what they do. So you're, you're, you're in a position where, again, we, we can extol the virtues of the bioeconomy, not just for what it does, but for the resilience it's showing in the face of a global recession and a global economic shift with everything else. And what have biotech companies done? They've grown, to your point, Paul. Mm -hmm. They've grown. They're going to continue to grow. Again, I don't know about you, but I want my we want our children to be as resilient as possible, right? That's the whole point of being parents and raising a, a community. Well, here it is. So it's another great example of not just what we do is benevolent, but the kind of businesses we build are resilient. That's exactly it. And, and you know, as a parent, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned her a lot on the podcast. I've got uh, two little daughters, one who's two and one who's seven. And, nice. and my seven-year-old, Mary Grace, uh, I think as anyone who's listened to some of the other podcasts would realize, she's a little scientist. I don't know if she's going to be in the battery tech or life sciences, but she's definitely going to be somewhere there. That's very, very clear at this point. And since she's seven, she's still got a little bit of time to figure it out, which is good. But, <laughs> but she's landing at that right time in the market, as you've explained it. And, and the other thing that comes from this, though, is the fact that she's landing at a point where from a sector expertise perspective, uh, you know, here in Halifax, life sciences is by far the largest sector of excellence that we have followed by, you know, oceans, natural resources, technology, and aerospace and defense. The environment that exists here in Halifax is, to your point, it's by no means depressed. It is running like it's on fire. The number of things that you read daily from Halifax Partnership, Nova Scotia Business uh, Inc., in terms of the development that's existing here in Halifax and, and the thought that's coming out of the city is absolutely huge. But to your point, we need the people now to backfill and actually fill in because these organizations are ready to go to the next level and they need mm -hmm. the people to do that. And they've got some great support in Atlantic Canada. You know, one of the things that I've loved about Atlantic Canada, they can do things so quickly because they're so nimble. The unfortunate thing about some of the larger areas, when you take a look at the Montreals or the Vancouver's or the Toronto's of the world, these are massive behemoth engines with hundreds of moving parts. Now, I know, I mean, Halifax is a thriving and growing metropolis on its own, as are some of the other centers. But the difference is, is that in Atlantic Canada, all of these clusters of life science communities have been able to get alignment from the top of the government down through the economic development drivers, to the immigration engines, to the academics, post-secondary institutions, all the way to the infrastructure, right down into the businesses. So that when a plan comes up or when there's an economic development strategy that comes out, not only can it be formulated quicker, it can be executed on a dime. And that is a huge advantage in a um, country like Canada, where you've got a huge federal infrastructure that's trying to support this across the country, and national organizations like mine that try to do this across the country. At the same time, Atlanta, Canada can do so much for itself because it's got its ducks in a row. 
And hearing you say that, it really further validates uh, what Jim Hanlon said on, I think it was episode one or two of our podcast, where we were talking, uh, he's the uh, founding CEO of Cove. Mm. And he was talking about the fact that one of the big strengths that come from Atlantic Canada and Halifax is the fact that there is that cross-sector compatibility and cooperation and, and inter-sector compatibility and cooperation as well. And uh, Marianne, uh, on an episode that we just had as well, she talked about the fact that what we have here in Halifax is kind of unique that way in, in Atlantic Canada and, and maybe to a degree outside of these borders as well. But the fact that people can get together in the room and have that conversation. And when I look at the bioeconomy today and how you defined it, uh, both on the podcast and, and in the national report, you've got this wheel that I'm going to share a link to as a part of this podcast, where it talks about, you know, the, the various types of biohealth, bioenergy, bioindustrial, agri-bio as well, but all the different things that form that wheel mm -hmm. and the amount of thought and cooperation that has to exist for there to be success. I see that within the sector and I see that beyond it. And I'm sure you've seen that as well. Absolutely. And it's really interesting when you start talking to people about all of the, the subsectors that are in there, things like medical cannabis, things like craft beer, Paul. It's great you go down to a pub. Did you know the craft beer or biotech companies? Most brewmasters are microbiologists, right? Because it's bacteria, it's yeast that, that affects the beer. Like these are all living things. These are biosystems. So it's quite interesting when you start talking to people about the different things, like bioadhesives, just some of the bandages that are used, the medical devices that are used. This is all part of the bioeconomy. A lot of people don't think of mechanical engineers as biotech. They only think about chemicals or, or cells or viruses or bacteria. But there's so much more. And when you're talking about the food sector, you, you mentioned fisheries, oceans and fisheries, of course, and Atlantic, uh, the aquaculture industry, that's part of the bioeconomy. How do we feed the world through uh, a better breeds of fish, you know, and better breeds of, of marine life? This is all part of the bioeconomy. And it's kind of interesting because it's kind of cool to watch people's eyes sort of widen and go, oh, I never thought about it like that. And, you know, we need to do more of that, Paul. You know, I mean, I think, unfortunately, we do it really badly mm -hmm. right now. And it's got to be something where we get better at. You know, you take a look at your iPhone, you take a look at your computer, the amount of technology that goes into something like that, that can make it so simple to somebody who doesn't have that expertise like you and me. I mean, that's a bit of the bioeconomy. We try to make it so simple for people, right, to get them clean food, to get them good medicines and stuff. But of course, it's such a complex system behind it to get those systems up to such a point that they are they are out of sight and out of mind. We don't even think about it when we buy food, you know, or when we go to a pharmacy and we forget the amount of technology and knowledge and science and complex systems that go behind the things we take for granted every day. Are you ready to jump in and learn more? Stay tuned for the second half of the conversation and then visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to get the full story on why Halifax, Nova Scotia makes perfect sense for your next event. Well, and, and the fact that you've really defined, you know, th there's two pieces of that wheel. And, and like I said, I'm going to make sure that there's a link shared for this. But when I look at two sections specifically, you know, around sustainable development in the green economy, mm -hmm. the fact that you've got, as you said, you've got people within this economy working to solve these problems. I love the whole heal, feed, and fuel the world. I just love that. And uh, I'm going to find a way to steal that and incorporate that somewhere. <laughs> uh, believe me. But, you know, and then I look at how Halifax performs within biopharmaceuticals, medical devices, e-health, 
There's a lot happening here in those areas, and each of them are having those developments almost every week or every day where you see something in the news about what's happening. But to have those happen, you need to have the people. Well, And that's certainly something where, to your point, I, I've, I completely agree, and maybe I'm a little biased, but you know, Atlantic Canada is well positioned to find those 11,000 or so new roles that we're going to need between now and 2029. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, just yesterday, I'm not sure if you saw the news, just yesterday, there was a $79 million announcement for BioVetra that has operations both in PEI and in Halifax to build a brand new infrastructure, brand new buildings and factories mm. in order to produce vaccines. I mean, these are these are Atlantic Canada companies, right? You've got IMV over in Dartmouth that's also involved in vaccine production. So there's there's some of these stories that are affecting and something. Oh, my goodness, you've got your own local companies that are going to be working to protect Canadians' health. So we don't have to line up next time there's a pandemic. God willing, there won't be. Mm. But if there is, we won't have to line up behind the other countries who have biomanufacturing facilities domestically. We're going to have our own so that we're going to be able to protect the lives and health of Canadians. And I think that's awesome. And the, what's really cool is that Atlantic Canada's going to even do it locally, right? As a nation, we're doing it nationally, but Atlantic Canada is already fostering this to, to increase that capacity locally. And that's going to bring nothing but prosperity and extra jobs mm-hmm. um, uh, to the area. But it poses, like you said, Paul, it poses a challenge of how do we fill those seats? How do we make sure we're in a position to fill those seats? Well, and that's, I think, where this, you know, your national labor market information study really starts to play a really important role in all this. Being able to understand where the gaps are, understand and quantify where the gaps are, I should say. But then also, what I like about your study is you're actually proposing ways to alleviate some of that pressure. You're making recommendations within the study. And, you know, We've all read lots of documents over the years from various groups where they claim it's a study, they go through, here are the issues. But then you're like, not only here are the issues, but here are the solutions. And by the way, this is a solution to take an already hot sector and supercharge it. This is not about here's a sector on on life support and we're trying to get it going. And I think that's really important to note. But when I read this and it's like, okay, here's what you need to do government, organizations, private sector, academic, here's what you need to do to take something that is rip-roaring and get her to the next level. And I really appreciate that. So maybe we can dig into the study just a little bit. Sure. And we can we can kind of start with, uh, you know, this is an update on a study or uh, the next step from a study that was done almost a decade ago now. That's right. And, and, you know, maybe we can talk about the drivers on why now and and what you expected to accomplish. Yeah, we. this is actually uh, the third national labor market intelligence study we've done. The last one was in 2013. But this one, this one here is the first time we've done a forecast where we've taken a look at the supply and the demand and we're able to put a number to it. And that was that in these major areas, we'll be in the thousands of deficits. We already are in many major areas. For example, in biomanufacturing, which is things like vaccine production, not exclusive to vaccines, but it's uh, medicines and production of biological materials and processes. We're already in a deficit of several thousand across the country in all sectors. And that's in agrobio, food production and uh, genetic modulation for that, bioenergy, as well as bioindustrial, and then the biohealth, which is the largest employer. All of these are, are lacking employees across the country. So this year in 2021, we had launched the study actually pre-pandemic 
2018. And um, we knew it was going to be a huge study. We literally interviewed and surveyed thousands of people. We talked to companies. We did, we did our census of the uh, bioeconomy, which gave us the number of 200,000 people and 12,000 companies nationwide. We thought this was really important because we saw the growth and the issue that was always coming back from company CEOs and, and HR directors that we're having a really tough time with talent. And we need to answer that question, why? Why are we having a tough time with talent? What is the nature of the businesses? What is the nature of the organization? What is the nature of Canada itself that is making it difficult for these businesses to find the help they did? And we found a few things. And a couple of the recommendations that we came out of it, Paul, as you were mentioning, were things about youth, things about mm -hmm. immigration, mm -hmm. um, things about these companies as a business. I mean, a lot of people forget that these companies, they don't only employ scientists. You don't have to have a PhD in molecular biology to work in biotechnology. These companies employ finance people, marketers, salespeople, accountants, clerical staff, admin staff, human resource staff, all of these things, which are, you know, those, those skills are industry agnostic. You know, a lot of you can run, if you can run the HR of a high-tech company, you can certainly run the HR of a biotech company, right? So there's all of these different aspects of the industry itself and the infrastructure and the communities that support it. And that's why I was saying before that Atlantic Canada has such an advantage to it because if you talk to the immigrant serving agencies, I've gone to, my family comes from Truro, I love Nova Scotia, um, and I've spoken to some of the immigrant serving agencies like ISANS in, in Halifax yes, itself. Yes, yes. Um, and how it's been so innovative in plugging its infrastructure and its supply of newcomers into the businesses around, including the life sciences community around there. That is a more of a challenge elsewhere in Canada. And ISANS has been very innovative in terms of being able to do that, bringing employers to the table and plugging them in directly as closely as possible with the immigrant community so that they can see these newcomers as a source of really vibrant and exciting new talent. So what's interesting to me is not just the recommendations, mm -hmm. but also the innovative means by which communities and clusters across the country are trying to meet these challenges head on and using the infrastructure and using the alignment that they've got to try to do that. I think Atlantic Canada is in a better position than most across the country because of what it's already established to hit these things head on. But it has some unique challenges that some of the other areas don't have. Uh, but in terms of the recommendations we've come up with, we've come up with some national ones. Some apply more in Halifax and, and in the Atlantic Canada than others, mainly because of the makeup of your communities and of the regionalization of the industry. So we hopefully we'll get a chance to unwrap that today too. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that coming down here shortly are the regional spotlights, mm -hmm. uh, where you're going to be digging a little bit more into the detail around that uh, and building on the national piece, which I think is going to be, uh, I really hope it's something where we can use that as a bit of a roadmap once it's released, so we can kind of dig into that and really understand how to do that. And, you know, from even a conference perspective, having people come here to see what Halifax and Atlantic Canada and Canada has to offer gives us an opportunity to really showcase this space to the world, whether it's what we're currently doing, or hopefully some of you listening who want to host a conference here, also either setting up shop or, or uh, contributing to this economy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Paul. You know, you've got to fight the fights that you can win, mm -hmm. right? And Atlantic Canada can win. Anybody who's ever visited there and anybody who's ever lived there can fight the fight of lifestyle, 
can fight the fight of saying, why would I go and work for a biotech company in Halifax? Or why should I stay here? And I said, mm. and you can say, and go, does anywhere else in Canada look like this? I mean, can you see anywhere else the culture that Atlantic Canada has? I mean, no. The answer is a flat no. Anybody who's been there and who's <laughs> spent any significant time, the answer is bloody well no. And these are the fights that you can win, the lifestyle fights, the quality of life uh, that is there. Not only that, again, that whole alignment where mm. entrepreneurs need to know, wow, Halifax has its ducks in a row from premier's office right down to the municipal level to support me as an entrepreneur in trying to set up shop to sell my molecule. It's even better equipped than most other areas in the country. Again, that's a fight you can win. Mm -hmm. And these are the things like those turnkey solutions for entrepreneurs to make it easy to give them access to the funding, the tax credits, and finally, the talent that they need. So uh, for sure, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more from Atlantic Canada on some of those innovative solutions to meet some of those challenges that we've uh, we've outlined in the reports. So Rob, one of the things that I do want to dig into is the fact that when I looked at the report, there were some significant areas here in terms of how we can actually achieve the outcomes. Oh yeah that we're mm -hmm. looking for. You know, we, we've got the graduate piece, which you've spoken to. We've got the newcomer piece. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the other, I'm going to call it stakeholder piece, whether we're talking about industry, government, other talent programs that are coming out. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as you said, Atlantic Canada is well positioned there. But, you know, digging into that, let's try to rank that a little bit. You know, what do we need to do first and what do we need to do second to make this work, especially when it comes to Atlantic Canada and not having the regional report quite yet? That's a great question, Paul. The first thing we need to do is we need to make the systems that are already working well for us to work better. So as I mentioned, Canada's, you know, the most educated country in the world based on the number of, of people, of Canadian citizens who have either a college diploma or a university degree. The issue, though, is that a lot of times in biotechnology, as I mentioned, these are companies, mm -hmm. capitalist companies. So and while our academic institutions are second to none mm -hmm. in teaching the theory of science. They sometimes fall short because of the amount of curricula and knowledge that they have to impart. They sometimes fall short on teaching our young people the business of science. Mm -hmm. All of those things like what I'm doing right now, Paul, how do I have a conversation where I can, if I can, dumb down a very complex issue into something that can be bite-sized morsels thanks to a skilled interviewer like you who asks the right questions so that the audience can understand without having a degree, a master's degree or PhD, why should you invest in my company? How do we sell? How do we market? How do you lead a team? How do you run a proper meeting? You know, how do you come up with a market strategy and a business plan that investors will buy into? These are all things that are fundamental to the bioeconomy, but it's not something that you're going to learn mm. in a, taking a master's degree in microbiology, right? Those are other things, but they are pivotal. So a lot of the times our young people are underemployed when they come out in some areas of the country, Paul, even though we're in a deficit, skills deficit in some provinces, the unemployment rate for our biotech grads is in double digits. Like that's pretty sad if you're in a country where you've got the most educated vertical mm -hmm. is one of the highest unemployment rates. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot of student debt that you've gone through and a lot of education that you're going to have to pay for and you're underemployed. And the reason that they're underemployed, it's not because the companies don't need the people, but the companies need the business skills. Right. And these companies around have said this, implored us saying, is there some way we can bridge that gulf between what the academics institutions teach and what we need? Because what they want 
is seasoned talent, three to five years or more in the industry that understand it can hit the ground running. Because some of these companies only have about six months of runway of funding in front of them, and it takes that long to get some of these new grads and students up to speed mm. on the business that's there. So the first thing we need to do is to find ways of getting kids into jobs faster and more efficiently. And one of those is through work-integrated learning. These better known as internships, co-ops, stages, whatever you have. This has been one of the most successful programs that has been launched by the federal government based on European models, et cetera, where we get students into wage subsidized internships in the companies while they're still in school. Why do we do that? Because in wage subsidies, we, that's an incentive obviously for the companies to take them. Mm -hmm. But then while they're learning and while this is part of their company credit, they learn by osmosis and by being immersed in a business environment. All of those skills, those skills for success I mentioned before that these companies so desperately need. These work integrated learning programs are so successful that upwards of 80 to 90% of the students who get placed in one of these uh, opportunities in a company mm -hmm. get hired by the same company mm -hmm. upon graduation. And that's fantastic for the company. It's fantastic for the academic institution and it's fantastic for the student. And what it does is it's a clear path forward. And you know, if you can connect those paths, uh, Rob, I think you nailed it. The minute those paths are connected, I think the people come and the people will follow and they'll be there to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And having that type of an experience, that's, uh, that's exactly what I can only imagine, you know, a, a student in university or thinking about going to university or college or for whatever programming they need to, like painting that picture is huge. Absolutely. And, and that's why it's so important to make sure that the academic institutions are plugged into the local mm -hmm. life science community. Mm -hmm. That has to happen even more so in Atlantic Canada. And the reason why it has to happen more so in Atlantic Canada is there's one thing that's, I won't say broken, but there's one thing that is a huge challenge in Atlanta, Canada, that the rest of the country is not feeling as much. And that is the exodus of your young people. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're, they have a much greater chance of finding employment outside of Atlanta, Canada than other students from other regions. So we have to get to be a better, we have to get better at connecting them earlier. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, Paul, if you're going to school at Dalhousie, right, and you're in a biotech program and you get a job, a job at IMV in Dartmouth, as a co-op or an intern, the chances of you staying in Atlantic Canada if IMV continues to employ you after you graduate is much greater than if you're deciding to go look for greener pastures in Vancouver or Winnipeg with mm -hmm. no job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? So, that, so that whole system, we just need to integrate it more. It needs to be, and we need to encourage the kids, and we need to encourage the institutions. Some of the institutions, and I'm calling out with some of the universities and colleges, um, less colleges, more the universities, um, require a GPA that's too high for some of these students in order to enter a co-op. Mm. Um, and that's very difficult. If you're trying to maintain a very uh, 3.7 GPA, um, you know, that's going to take a significant amount of study time. Uh, don't have much time for a, for, for a part-time job in a lab. Um, but you might be actually disadvantaging that person, that student, from their career prospects as a result of an expectation, uh, a grade point average or an expectation that's too high for them to enter into something as beneficial, not only to the student, but to the community as co-op and work integrated learning opportunities. 
So with that said, looking at what we've covered off today, mm-hmm. I think the big question I have for you is I absolutely loved the newly released uh, labor market study. When am I going to get to see that regional one? Because I, I think there's <laughs> a lot of good stuff in there. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, maybe I can even make a plug to come back Please. and we can discuss it, Paul, because um, the um, we're releasing five different regions, regional studies in rapid succession in about about three weeks time. So that's good. It's coming uh, just as a little early Christmas present, including the Atlantic Canada report. And it's going to be putting a lot more numbers and feelings around some of the Mm. issues and challenges that are unique to Atlantic Canada, one of which I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of the other issues that we're talking about with Atlantic Canada that you will see in about three weeks time in that report is uh, that around immigration. The immigration is a challenge across Canada. In Atlantic Canada, it's more of a retention Mm-hmm. than a recruitment. You know, it's a, it's not that you're trying to attract the immigrants. They come. But a lot of times, like the students, they don't stay. It's a more difficult thing for them to stay. So your challenges around immigration are somewhat unique. And I think that you've already got a system that is working well and is aligned. It just needs to work better. I don't think it needs an overhaul. I think it needs more alignment at the employer mm-hmm. side. Because your placements, when we place immigrants, when immigrants come to Atlantic Canada, the issue often is not that the immigrant who has found a job in the bioeconomy is fulfilled. It's often to make sure that the entire village embraces the family mm-hmm. and the partner of that person so that the entire family feels a home here. That is sometimes a little easier in larger urban areas where there's uh, an eclectic and cultural vibrancy where they can find people of their own ethnicity easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there's more of an infrastructure. So that's a challenge that Atlantic Canada has, but I don't think it's an insurmountable one. And certainly the better, it's a bit of a positive feedback loop. Uh, the more immigrants you retain, the more you'll attract mm-hmm. because that whole newcomer and multicultural community will feed itself. Absolutely. And looking at the numbers here in Nova Scotia, where we're really excited, mm-hmm. and, and for those of you listening who might not be aware, within the next several weeks, maybe a couple months from now, Nova Scotia is poised to actually hit a million people in terms of population. Right now, over the pandemic, it's been largely folks uh, from elsewhere in Canada coming home, if you want to call it that. But I'm really hoping, Rob, to your point, that some of that experience and some of that work that's gone into bringing people home will come into bringing people to their new home, which is the folks from truly away from Canada, having them come here and find a home. So I'm really glad to hear you say that, Rob, because uh, that's certainly one of the things that I'm personally and and professionally hoping to see come to fruition. Well, you know, Paul, and sometimes you can get more than one bang for your buck. And what I mean by that is if we can start telling the story of Atlantic Canada's bioeconomy, the vibrant, growing bioeconomy, and couple it with tourism, couple it with showing the picture of the lifestyle Mm -hmm. that people can have in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Atlantic Canada in general, That not only hits the kids where they live, where they go, wow, that's a career and a cool lifestyle. That's neat. I would like that. It hits the immigrant and the newcomer in the same thing. Wow. It's not only a really cool place to live, but I can have a really good, fulfilling, um, lucrative and ambitious career there. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you hit both of those things, you're hitting two different communities where they live, right? Can I make a living? Can I work for a good and noble industry? And second of all, is this lifestyle that I can enjoy there superior or unique to what I'm hearing, what I'm getting here or what I already know? 
Um, and I think that's the thing. Atlantic Canada, with the bioeconomy and with the lifestyle that you you afford your citizens, you have a compelling story to tell. Uh, newcomers across the country and around the world, as well as the students who might not have even thought of going of, of, of Halifax's biotech community. Rob, I, I have to thank you for your time here today. The the story, the narrative that we've we've explored today is is something where it, it's it's truly uplifting for me. The fact that there's so much opportunity within the bioeconomy, both here and abroad, is is it's exciting. It's not something that I expected to hear in terms of the way that you so passionately talked about it and the way that we we ended up exploring a little bit of the report and learning a little bit more. Uh, you know, I just have to thank you, Rob, for, for both your time, but also your energy on this and, and the fact that we had a chance to explore so much in such a short period of time. Thanks, Paul. You know, I'm really glad that you saw the value in talking about the labor market and the bioeconomy on a podcast such as this. I mean, it's it, it's it's really great because it's going to be uh, broadcasts like this, people like you that are going to be able to help us tell the story of, uh, of Atlantic Canada, not just Atlantic Canada, but the, the, the lesser known story of Atlantic Canada's vibrant bioeconomy. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Paul Bailey, with the Discover Halifax podcast. And be sure to check the description below so you can get more details around BioTalent Canada and the other elements that we discussed on today's podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Paul Bailey. Halifax, Nova Scotia is ready to host you. Whatever you're gathering for, from wherever in the world you are, you'll feel right at home here. Halifax is home to a diverse collection of memorable places to meet and stay. Plus, we have all the collaborators to help your event go off without a hitch. And when it comes to nailing down the details, consider Discover Halifax your partner in planning. Visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to learn more, take virtual tours, and meet Team Halifax. Halifax.